Just a warning, in this episode there are some pretty disturbing scenes. For some listeners, it might not be your cup of tea, and I would advise not allowing children to listen to this episode. This is the second episode in a multi-part story. If you haven't listened to the first episode, Sailing Into Disaster, I suggest you give that a listen first. But if you feel like jumping right into this part of the story, then by all means. This is part two, Raising Atlantis. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Tell that to someone on the edge of desperation. Someone who knows no other way. Are they still insane? Ash piled up underfoot with every step as Pontos rushed through the narrow streets of his hometown trying to get to his destination as quickly as possible. Taking every shortcut and alley he knew, his two companions were trying their hardest to keep up. Laden down with their armor, it wasn't easy to maintain the pace set by their commander. Their task became even more difficult with every corner they turned. It seemed the streets were becoming more crowded the closer they got to the town square. People from all over were traveling in different directions in what seemed like a mindless panic. Some curious to see what was happening in the town square, deterred or not by the looming mountains spewing smoke in the distance, while others focused on gathering their belongings and heading in the direction of the docks at the bottom of the hill. The only thing they seemed to have in common was their urgency and the way they ignored each other as if no one was in their way, regardless of the fact. One of the guards running behind Pontos tried catching his breath, shouting, trying not to lose sight of his commander. Sir, slow down. But Pontos ignored his shouting. He knew time wasn't on his side. Making his way around the final corner, his eyes widened at the sight before him. A crowd had assembled in the town square, an area barely able to hold a crowd of 100 people. Yet at least double that number seemed to be squeezing into it, stumbling over each other to witness the scene unfolding. Pontos's guards caught up to him as he stood at the back of the crowd in the entrance of the alley, searching for a way through. Using the flat sides of their swords, they tapped the crowd members on the hips, getting their attention and forced their way through to an open area. In the center was a raised wooden altar that looked as if it had been hastily constructed. An older grey-haired woman dressed in a dark blue robe with a thin hood stood behind holding a blood-soaked dagger in her right hand raised to the sky. Her left was clutching the robe below her neck. Her eyes were closed as she tilted her head up to the sky. Surrounding the altar were a group of old women, all wearing similar robes but red in color. They stood motionless, waiting for the woman to make a sound. There was an eerie silence in the square. The old women, the crowd, no one wanted to make a sound. Their attention focused on the woman standing behind the altar. Pontos approached, slowly, his head turning from side to side, gazing at the crowd and the altar beyond. The expressions on their faces seemed that of people possessed, wide-eyed, some frothing at the mouth. 
One man fell onto his face drunk as Pontos accidentally nudged him. The smell of alcohol wafted through the crowd. The only sound that could be heard were the footsteps of Pontos as he walked around the altar toward a sight that even he could not believe. Standing motionless, his shoulders slouched in sadness at the sight before him. Children. Children, some not much older than his sons. Others barely old enough to walk, lying motionless, piled on top of one another, covered in blood. And yet no one seemed to react. A growing sense of rage began to swell up inside as Pontos clenched his fists, ready to focus his anger toward the old woman and her followers. But before he could, the woman opened her eyes and spoke. The gods have listened. Your sacrifices will calm the mountain beast. The shaking has ceased. The island is safe. The crowd began to cheer as Pontos turned around in horror at their desperation. His guards, not sure of what to do, stood by his side, clinging to the only thing they knew what to believe in, their loyalty and duty to their commander. Pontos interrupted the old woman. Priestess, is this what you think the gods want? These children are innocent. What gives you the right? The priestess, lowering her hand, turned her head slowly toward Pontos, answering in a tone of arrogance. What does a soldier know of the gods' wishes? What does a soldier know of the mountain beast? Now turning to face him, the priestess focused all her attention on the commander and his guards. What does a soldier know of sacrifice? Only ever killing in the name of glory, ignoring the gods. Before he could answer, the mountain in the center of the bay erupted another cloud of smoke and ash, larger than any other previously. At that moment, Pontos gave her a stare, knowing she was out of answers to appease the crowd. She then ordered the other foot soldiers to disperse amongst the crowd to descend upon Pontos and restrain him. Following orders, they did just that, but stopped short of restraining him. Instead, they stood by his side, realizing the priestess was powerless to stop the mountain. Their loyalty to their commander was all they had now. In an act of desperation, she appealed to the crowd. This man knows not of the gods. They have become angered by his questioning of their wishes. Voices from the crowd filled the square, some in favor of the priestess, others echoing what Pontos had been saying. Arguments began to grow amongst the crowd, increasing in intensity. The voices could be heard by both the high priestess and Pontos, standing unsure of how to react. Words were thrown back and forth amongst the crowd, some being more vocal than others. One of the priestesses stood up in front of the altar, raising her hands to get the attention of the crowd. This was foretold in our histories. The god of the sea warned us to never overreach our borders. He had given us enough to live in peace, but we ignored him building an empire over these islands and onto the mainland. We have become decadent and corrupt. This is our punishment. The high priestess became angry at the words, now realizing she was losing control of her followers. Rushing forward in a desperate act to silence the woman, she buried the dagger into the back of her neck. The crowd looked on in horror, unable to move, frozen by fear and shock. After a long pause, the mountain shook the island, waking the crowd from their trance. 
Everyone by now had known what side they were on. The crowd erupted into an orgy of violence, people revealing daggers and frantically stabbing each other, beating each other to death with whatever they could find. A small group of citizens rallied around Pontos and his soldiers, while another group gathered around the altar protecting the priestess. Both groups stood in a defensive posture, searching for an escape route through the crowd. One of Pontos' soldiers turned to him, shouting, We need to get off the island. Not hearing a word, the man said Pontos was locked in a stair with the high priestess across the courtyard. Back at the docks, Gaia was wary, stepping onto the ship as Sama stood on deck with the few belongings she was able to bring on such short notice. The boys were nowhere to be seen as she began to worry. Her entire family except for her brother was missing and she was powerless, not knowing what they were doing. First her husband was compelled by his duty to leave her in this position. Then her two sons, twins no more than ten years old, had slipped out of her house while she was packing. It was obvious where they went, to the town square, to see what their father had set out to do. She froze with one foot on the deck while the other was still on the dock. Second-guessing herself, she knew what she had to do. Her brother's insistence to rush to the ship became less urgent, now that she realized everyone she cared for wasn't there. She had listened to Sam every step of the way from her home to the dock, his repeated assurances that Pontos and the boys would be there, but now she had to go find them. Her motherly instincts were becoming too strong to ignore. She dropped the one bag she had been carrying onto the deck of the ship and turned running up the street, leading away from the dock. Sama stood motionless and called out her name, trying to get her to stop, but she ignored his pleas, focusing on the only thing she valued in this life, her family. As she approached the square, the crowd was too dense to see anything beyond. Hearing voices... Some she thought she recognized, and others she didn't, became mixed and drowned out by the noise. She forced her way through to witness what her husband had seen only moments before, and her husband, staring down the priestess. Looking around the crowd, she noticed her sons only steps away and tried to make her way over to them. Not going unnoticed, the priestess was quick to center her out as the boys made their way to their mother. The high priestess barked an order to her followers. Those two. Pontos, knowing what she was trying to do, ordered his guards to try to stop them. But they were too far away. The crowd was becoming agitated, some eager for another sacrifice, others hoping the madness would stop. They began to divide into sides as the rhetoric and violence ramped up, with neither side giving ground in the fight. The priestess's grabbed the boys, dragging them kicking and screaming to the altar as Pontos's men with their swords drawn formed a circle around Gaia in a desperate attempt to protect whoever they could from the priestess's growing mob of followers. Their mob grew in intensity, from disorganized screaming to deafening chanting, their eyes wide with rage as the boys were forced onto the altar. Pontos pleaded for calm and reason as the other half of the crowd gathering at his back began growing louder, not willing to sacrifice any more children. Stop! You've done enough. The gods will not answer. Why can't you see that? These children have died because of your ignorance. What has it done? Nothing. The mountain continues to spill ash. The island shakes. You haven't appeased them. 
How many more have to die? Please. A tear swelled up in his eye, knowing he was becoming powerless to stem the growing madness. The high priestess, in her arrogance, stared off across the square toward the harbor and beyond, ignoring Pontos, which only increased his feeling of anger. She ordered the priestesses to sit the boys down on the altar in front of her. Raising the knife still in her hand to one of the boys' throats, she slowly turned her head to Pontos, giving him a stare, mocking him in his helpless situation. She seemed to take a deep satisfaction in tormenting him. Pontos began to think maybe she knows the truth. Maybe she knows there's no escape now. The mountain was going to kill everyone. And now all she had left was her religion. Her hope that something, anything would stop the chaos looming over the island. No matter what the cost, she was determined to do everything to stop it. Between a mix of her power over the people and blind faith, she regained her purpose, positioning the knife against the boy's throat. Looking down into the terrified eyes of the boy, she attempted to reassure him everything was alright, as he struggled to break himself free of the women holding him down. Eager to proceed with her sacrifice, she spoke in ritual words, stopping short of cutting the boy as both Pontos and Gaia screamed out in terror. The priestess raised her head toward Pontos and pressed the blade into the boy's flesh, dragging it from ear to ear before pushing him to the ground. A deafening scream came from Gaia as she lunged forward out of the crowd toward her son, causing Pontos's men and their side of the crowd to follow. The high priestess's followers also rushed forward, colliding with Pontos's side, and soon became a clash of disorganized bodies, no one able to distinguish friend from foe. Each side stabbing, hitting, and beating whatever they could. One side trying to save an innocent boy, the other protecting the priestess and the sacrifice. Pontos forced his way through the fighting, accompanied by Gaia and a small group of guards, trying to reach their sons, coming within only steps as the priestess buried the knife into the other boy's neck, mimicking her actions of the first, then seemingly unconcerned of the approaching guards, stretched her arms out to either side and tilted her head back, seeking the god's approval before Pontos leaping over the altar with sword in hand buried it into her chest. Gaia ran to her son's lifeless bodies, clutching them, crying with a sadness no one around her dared interrupt, and growing louder than the noise of the battle raging around her. The priestess, satisfied in her duties, fell back, knowing she had done all she could to appease the gods. The guards reformed a tight circle around Gaia, guarding her from the riot, swarming around them as Pontos continued moving along the altar, impaling the remaining priestesses in a deafening rage that rivaled his wife's cries. Some in the crowd broke away from the fighting to see the priestess lying dead at the altar and moved towards the circle of guards. Their own hands gripping blood-soaked knives, they swarmed the guards, their eyes now filled with a thirst for revenge, using all their strength to overwhelm Pontos's men, who themselves were now hacking and slashing at whatever body was in front of them their swords obviously holding an advantage over their attackers. But that wasn't enough. Numbers counted, and it was only a matter of time before the crowd made their way through. Pontos, now finished with the priestesses, returned, kneeling beside Gaia, who was now sitting on the ground embracing her sons, placing a hand on each of their heads before joining his wife in her sorrow. Crying was all they could do now, both husband and wife, now childless, 
in the blink of an eye. The noise of the fighting became a distant drone to the two. Only the voice of a single man calling out awakened Pontos of the danger inching toward them. We can't keep them back. We need to retreat now. Pontos stood and faced the man who had his back to him, too busy with fighting the crowd to even turn around. Realizing the situation, Pontos reached down, taking Gaia by the arm, and in a calming voice pleaded, Leave them, Gaia. We need to go. There's nothing we can do. Unwilling to listen to his words, her love for her children left her paralyzed. Pontos, becoming increasingly worried, pleaded with his wife again and again, but only the same result. He quickly realized he had no choice but to fight and hold back the crowd. Perhaps she would come to her senses and they would make their escape, or perhaps she would not. Either way, he knew he had to fight right then and there to protect what he had left, if only for a while longer. At least providing his wife with a few more moments with her children. Turning to join his men, who by now exhausted from the fighting were falling back, inching toward Gaia. Their position became worse when suddenly he noticed a noise coming from the back of the crowd. It was coming closer, causing some of the crowd to turn around. Trying to see through, he noticed a familiar face, attempting to fight his way through, surrounded by a rough-looking group of followers, led by a tall, older man with long, gray, receding hair. It was Sama. Perhaps they will make it out alive. Ponto spurred on his men, hoping the group would make their way through the crowd. Surging forward, stabbing and slashing at every person on his way, trying to reach Sama. Pontos! Sama cried out, only steps away. Making his way to the circle of guards, he focused his eyes on his sister and nephews lying on the ground in the center. His heart sank into his stomach, causing him to stop short, dropping his sword at his feet, leaving him silent, wondering what to do. Leaving the island almost became an afterthought, now that he could see Gaia. I suggest we leave now, a voice cried out to Sama, bringing him back to attention. It was the captain, with sword in hand, gripping Sam's arm with the other, shaking him back to attention. This is not a moment to waste. Lives depend on our departure. My ship is waiting. The old captain, as rough and senile as he was, made his point clear, and Sam came to his senses, trying to get his sister to follow. Gaia, we need to leave, please, he pleaded. But Gaia would have none of it. She was too consumed by grief to even contemplate leaving her sons. Still a part of her believed they were alive and needed their mother, as another thought death was the only way to be reunited. Raising her eyes to Samus, she spoke barely loud enough for only his ears to hear. I will not leave. She then reached out her hand towards Sama, who took it between his own, kneeling down to hear her speak. Only what we leave behind endures. Her eyes began welling up with tears, rolling down her cheeks, adding to the ones already shed for her sons. Sama, unsure of what to say, simply nodded and said to his sister two fateful words, I promise, not realizing what he had set in motion. Sama released his grip, turning to the captain who was planning an escape route through the crowd. Pontos backed away from his guards, not realizing his wife had chosen her fate and decided to join her. Kneeling down at her side, giving her a slow embrace, he ordered his guards to follow the captain's orders and make their way to the ship. He thanked them for their service. It was an honor serving with you. 
Our moment has come. Your fate is yours now. Leave this island. Please go. And tell them of us. A few guards stayed, forming a smaller circle around the commander, still clinging to their duty. But most followed Sama, the captain, and his sailors, forcing their way through the crowd. Forcing their way through, they hacked, slashed, and killed anyone in their way, desperately making their way toward the ship. The violence around them took its toll, killing a guard here and a sailor there, until they reached the other side and an open street toward the docks. Only Sama, the captain, and a few men remained. A motley mix of soldiers and sailors in a common cause to get off the island. Sama stopped in the open street, turning his head back, looking into the crowd. He could see the last few guards being cut down as the crowd overwhelmed them, and his sister staring back at him, still in the loving embrace of her husband, using his body to shield her from the blows. Standing in shock, witnessing her succumb to the violence, the last sight of her being a look of terror in her eyes as a random stranger thrust a sword into her back. The captain pulled Sama by the arm. When they're done with her, where do you think they will go next? Sama looked him in the eye, obviously angered by the events he just witnessed, but realized very quickly the weight of the captain's question as the crowd began to turn toward them, the bloodlust rising in their hearts. Sam and the captain were not going to let them get their chance. Running toward the docks to find a skeleton crew waiting along with Rowan, already on deck, eagerly waiting for departure. Rowan asked as they boarded, Where's your family? Sam gave him a look as he sat down, giving him the only answer he needed. Silence. The captain, trying to catch his breath after running the long, narrow streets, immediately began giving orders after boarding. The few sailors that remained knew what they had to do, going about their duties, preparing the ship for departure. But with so many sailors lying dead in the square, embarking was beginning to take longer. Speed was of the essence, as a crowd could be heard making their way down the steep streets towards the dock. Looking at the few guards that managed to make it aboard, standing on deck, not sure what to do, the captain yelled out, You're sailors now! and began giving orders, to which the guards eagerly obeyed. Their lives as much in the balance as it was obvious to everyone. Free of its moorings, the ship began to push away from the dock as the men took up their oars and rowed as quickly as they could to escape the madness. The crowd by now had made its way to the dock, staring in silence at the ship slipping out of view as it exited the harbor and into the open sea. The crew stared back, content in the knowledge that they were safe for the moment. A fiction they were all aware of, with the mountain looming over them. But after the fight they had been drawn into, the moment was a welcome peace, however short it might be. They looked around the harbor and the open sea, quickly realizing theirs was the only ship to be seen. The others embarking earlier that day weighed down with a few passengers wise enough to escape. The reality of their situation was not lost as they continued out to sea, the island becoming distant on the horizon. The scale of the coming disaster was now apparent, as it realized the clouds spanned the sky in both directions. The sun blocked out as far as the eye could see. Midday was becoming night, even this far out to sea. It seemed the world was at an end, as the silence of the crew only added to the fear growing inside them. Samus sat on the same pile of sacks and nets he had when first on the ship. 
trying to gather his thoughts and come to terms with what he'd just witnessed. Grieving for his sister and her family. The battle in the square, his mind raced with the images he'd seen. A mixed memory of chaos that the more he dwelled on became even more confusing. But one instant returned to his mind over and over again. That of his sister's words. The more he dwelled on it, one word continued to return to his mind over all the others. Promise. Sam, looking up at the island, now far on the horizon, noticed a dark mess of ash being thrown straight up into the sky, larger than any previous coming from the mountain. As he focused his eyes, the mountain rose up out of the sea on a fountain of fire, shattering into a cloud of dust, which quickly swarmed across the sky, blocking out what little remaining sunlight there was. Lightning arced from the sky and beneath the fire along the shores of the island, outwards along the top of the sea. The silence broke and the air cracked with a loud noise. The crew ceased their rowing, unsure of what to make of the sight, staring off into the distance. Sama stood with Rowan, now at his side, staring in awe as the others joined them. What seemed like a wall of air rushed toward them, but before anyone could react, it reached the ship, with a force knocking everyone onto their backs and causing the mass to break, landing on the deck. A ringing in everyone's ears slowed their senses as they tried to regain their footing, standing up and assuming the worst was behind them. The captain, who had been the first to recover from the shock, squinted, attempting to focus on the distant sea. His face turned from the confident expressions he was used to showing to one of absolute fear. His men knew something was wrong. After all they had been through, nothing had scared the old man. But now they feared more was to come. Man your oars, the only words to come from the captain's mouth as he gave orders to his men to right the ship, facing it in the direction of the island. His men wondering why, soon forgot, as they fixed their eyes once again in the direction of the island which by now had disappeared. The crew looked around at the shrinking sky, ignoring the captain as he screamed orders. They immediately realized what had been the cause of the captain's fear. A wave. A wave beyond imagining. Taller than the mountain peak. And it was heading in their direction. With a speed beyond their comprehension. It was too late for the crew to right the ship, as futile as it might have been. The ship was at the mercy of the sea as it rose up the side of the wave toward the crest before capsizing. The crew thrown out into the body of the wave were helpless, crying in desperation to be saved, hoping to survive the force swallowing them. Both Sam and Rowan joined them, hoping that this wouldn't be the end. The wave continued on, scattering the crew, its cargo, and its hull, now shattered into pieces. The first casualty of many. Mm -hmm.